All right, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the Dad Bod Brigade podcast. My name is Dylan, and uh, we have a very special guest with us in here today who is a an expert in some very critical and very hot topics in the, the news and the world today. But um, I'd like to introduce Mr. Daniel Deluzneski. Dan, welcome to the show. Dylan, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. An important subject, an uncomfortable subject, but one that's uh, needed to be out there for awareness. Yeah, absolutely. So a quick background. Dan is a 24-year veteran of the Secret Service, retiring as a lieutenant. Um, he was part of the canine bomb detection unit. He, After his time in the Secret Service, he was the coordinator of emergency management, safety, and security for Pinellas County Schools in Tampa, Florida. Um, he has orchestrated and supervised over 100 active shooter drills. He pioneered and standardized the school emergency plans, and he was responsible for the security of over 140 schools and 104,000 students. Is that right? Yes, correct. Awesome. Yep. And he was also the author of this book, which is out on Amazon. The book is called The First Five Minutes, A School Shooting Survival Guide for Administrators and Teachers. Um, it also comes with a downloadable school emergency plan that teachers and administrators can use, as well as a downloadable quick reference card that can be used for additional training, attaching to administrators or teachers' ID cards or that kind of thing. So, Dan, um, I wanted to make sure I read all of that background correctly because that's that's quite the quite the report card of uh, of experiences. So, I'm pumped to have you on here. Um, why don't you give me just a little bit of a background on, on why you wrote this book, how your, your kind of your background ties into this and, and we, you know, we'll, we'll get into kind of more about this as we go through it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that, um, again, I hadn't really thought about writing a book. Um, you know, when I retired from the secret service, I came down here to Florida, uh, from Washington, DC. I was able to spend the, my entire career in Washington, DC. And when I came down here, it was just, I haven't retired, you know, it's a retire, grab a beer, sit on the beach. I'm done. And at the time, my ex-wife now, uh, at the time, she's like, you, you got to do something. You have, you know, it's an alpha personality. After three months, you're just driving yourself crazy because, again, you know, you were in the, the Army, uh, Dylan. I don't know how long it took you to, to settle down, but just that routine, the routine of the shift work, of making sure you're there on time, making you got your uniform and all this stuff, it just, it took forever. I mean, it's still, I talked to some of my buddies, it's still the same way. I mean, they have dreams about it. They, you know, still wake up going, I got to get to work. It's just something that's ingrained in you after that number of years. And I came down here and I, okay, just, we just get out the stress, just relax. Very hard to do again for an alpha personality that had, you know, it's kind of a control freak. Um, so this position opened up with the county uh, school system and it fit my resume. And I thought, what the hell? I'll give it a shot. You know, I don't, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll work full time. It doesn't matter. So I got the job. And a very good supervisor at the time. Uh, I wish he had stayed there longer, but he was just this guy that just believed in this uh, security. You know, all, we all went through Columbine and, you know, he had read about that and studied that. And he said, look, he said, this was a guy that would walk into schools. He had that kind of power. He was an assistant superintendent. He had the kind of power he could walk into schools and uh, have the staff there. He says, bring the principal out. And principal come out and he says, I'm a school shooter. He says, uh, I'm about to shoot up your school. What are you going to do? And you just stand there and wait for them. And they would be obviously being shocked with some kind of joke or something like that. He says, I'm not joking. He says, let's find out what you're going to do unannounced. You can't do that today. I, I mean, I, I, I wish I could, but unannounced drills would just drive people crazy. And there'd probably be some lawsuits in there because somebody would have a heart attack with something like that. But anyway, uh, he just said to me, uh, look, it's yours. It's your baby. However, it was just me. I got yeah. 100,000 students, 140 schools. I had no staff, no secretary, nothing. Um, it's uh, kind of funny because I would go to these conferences. And you mentioned North Carolina was a conference there. And some of these people would only have like 30,000 students. And they'd have assistant uh, directors and assistant, and they have secretaries and staff. I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, I got 100,000 kids. It's just me. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll go with it. And uh, I hated to sit at a desk. I just hated it. And I said, you know what? I am going to visit every one of these schools and make an appointment with every one of these principals so they know my face and see me face to face. Not that I had autonomy. I couldn't go in and say, do this now. Right. You know, I still had, there was still a hierarchy. But I, it took me a year. But I met every one of those 140 principals uh, within a year at all those schools. And any, I told them, anytime you have an active shooter drill or a drill that you think 
you need things to fix on, call, call me, email me. I'm going to be there. So that's why I put in there over, I don't know how many, well, I never counted them. I knew it was over a hundred uh, of these drills that I either observed or I was a part of, or I supervised at these different schools. And the nice thing about my county was it was so diverse, which it just made a big difference. North County, pretty white, very elite. You come down to center county, you know, it's, it's diverse, Hispanic, Latinos, black. Then you get to South County which is strictly mostly uh, a low income, black, Hispanic. And it just was a great uh, experience that they had such diversity in this county, very dense county. Um, we are, the, I think, the sixth largest school system in Florida and something like the 27th in the nation uh, oh, wow. just in, in size. So it was, to me, kind of amazing because think back, I'm up in Washington, D.C., coming and move to Florida. That's where retirees go. Uh, and they, they told me this about the schools, 100,000 kids. Wait a minute. This is where retired people go, not kids. Right. Oh, no. There's a lot of people down here. And they keep coming, obviously, uh, from, you know, these states like New York and California coming to uh, Florida. Anyway, I, I kind of got off topic here about the book. After Uvalde, and if people aren't familiar with Uvalde, they, they should be because the media just concentrated on it so much. Uh, law enforcement response was just completely um, it was just a, I'm sorry. Lacking. A shit. Yeah. It was horrible, horrible. These guys stood around for 45 minutes and they didn't do anything thinking it was a hostage situation. They didn't have really good, um, you know, authority, leadership to do anything. The radios were different. It was a complete mess. Now, with that being said, yeah, they made big mistakes. But before all this happened, that school still was not safe and secure. They had broken locks. They had doors wedged open. I don't know where the security guard went. There was a teacher smoke, whatever was happening. Um, but the main focus, which correctly focused on the law enforcement or unresponse that they didn't respond to it. So after that, I was so angry. And this was after some of your biggest ones. Uh, we go back to Sandy Hook and that's in a town called Newtown which was one town across from where I grew up in Monroe, Connecticut. This is in Newtown, Connecticut. And if you look at Newtown overall, let's say you, you can imagine a Courier and Ives, you know, uh, painting. That's what this town looked like. This old New England style of town, still like that today. Where this school was, was Sandy Hook was like a subsidiary of Newtown, just a small little town on a narrow road behind a fire department, a fire station where you couldn't even see the school. It just, again, when somebody says to me, never happened here, that's what I would point at. Something like that going, this school was obscure yeah. in this area that this, you know, anyway, that happened. And then uh, Parkland, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas down here in Florida, a three floor school, very big school um, where all kinds of mistakes were made. Uh, where you didn't have the school resource officers respond. And then and then they, they had a fire alarm go off and the teachers and students didn't know how to respond. We can kind of get into that in, in a little bit later, but about drilling. But anyways, after Uvalde, it just, I was so angry. And my current wife, she just said, look, you, you got to get it out. You got to vent. I had never written a book before. I didn't know what the hell was involved. I had no idea, no idea how to, how to do this. Luckily, she had written a book previously and she turned me on to this um, online support group for authors. And they led me through the whole thing of, of getting this done. So, but again, I write how I talk, which is a horrible way of writing. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a horrible way of writing. You know, you, you read a sentence you know, and then person will look at you. What, what are you talking? I don't know what you're talking about here. You know? So I had to go through all kinds of editing. Anyway, I wanted it short, concise, and a guidebook. I didn't want this thing where we see a 200, 300 page diatribe with all this edge speak that's going to sit on a shelf and collect dust. That's all it's going to do. You read some of this crap. I'm telling you, Dylan, it's boring. Right. It really is. Well, what I really I, liked about what I really liked about the book too, though, is you weren't just trying to pitch some like fancy new technology and some, you yeah. know, shiny toy and some end all be all solution. Because a lot of people, especially now that these school shootings have become like such huge media, like focuses. And obviously it goes down the route of, gun control this and gun control that. But yep. the, the problem yep. I've seen with a lot of the people that are in the industry to even like try and help or try and solve this problem is they always have some, some new tool or some new fancy shiny thing that can solve all the problems overnight. Oh, I can fix this overnight. And what I appreciated about your book specifically is you weren't trying to do that. You were trying to prepare the parents 
the students and the teachers and administrators at these schools to to be prepared, to be alert, to be aware, and to to get kind of a background and an understanding of how you train and get ready for this thing because it's not going to just end. It's not something that is just going to go away tomorrow because it's some shiny new tool. And so I really appreciated that about your book. And it kind of ties back into what we focus on on our show here is that teaching situational awareness, raising kids to be strong and and alert and, and kind of fundamentally just sound in, in their surroundings and even for parents to, to do the same thing. And I know before we got on, you were talking to me about, you know, parents need to be aware of what the, 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 the schools that their kids are attending are or are not doing in preparation for these kind of things. And so that was what I really appreciated about this book as well. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, again, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, talk about uh, the parents, because I, I think I told you, and, and, and your audience can know this, when I first did these podcasts, it was talking to the teachers administrators and they were like, look, our hands are tied. Uh, we're told that this is the way we're going to run these drills. And I, I don't want my job to be in jeopardy. So I have to do this, even though I agree with you. Is that w- w- the kind of drill we should be running? So uh, I got very fortunate with, uh, again, not, I didn't have the autonomy, but I did have the backing to have these drills run the correct way. And I tell you, when I first started, it was still, they were still dealing with codes. And I know there's schools out there that still deal with codes. I like, what are you doing? No, there's no codes. No, right. it, because I, you say a code red, it sounds like there's something dangerous. I don't know what that is. Nobody does. It's in plain language. Plain language. We're in a lockdown, lockout, bomb threat, fire, whatever the heck it is. You're not going to scare anybody. Just talking plain language. So that took a while to get out of these codes. And uh, the other thing was with recently, which I, again, really emphasized just before I left, they said, look, why can't we have the classroom doors locked during class time? And I had teachers just said, oh, my God, no, we got kids going to the bathroom and they're coming in and out, this and that. It's, you know what? Tough. You're already one step ahead of the game by having the classroom door locked during class time. Right. Because all you got to do after that is a, as, a, as a lockdown situation is the most simple thing, Dylan. Doors locked, turn the lights off, close the blinds. You sit on the floor quietly away from the windows and doors. You silence your phone. You don't listen to any announcements. You do not open that door. No bells, whistles, nothing. You're waiting for the good guys to come. Right. And I mean good guys to come to unlock your door. Right. Not stand outside the door and say, hey, I'm a police officer, so-and-so, let me in. Right. No, well, no, no, it's no, no. the same thing with the announcements, too, because a lot of times, like even in your book, I think you mentioned this, you know, a shooter could come in, take yeah. the the off the front office secretary and tell her to say what she what she wants on what he wants on camera, what he or she wants on camera or on the uh the, the intercom. And so you never really know. And it's the same thing when I was at Fort hood during the second shooting that happened on base on a military base, we had soldiers come bringing guns on and shooting other soldiers, which is nuts by itself. But same idea, this, the simplest technique of, of locking a door or making it harder for someone to get in. I mean, it's the same way with protecting your house, right? The five D's of, of deterring, you know, criminals, right? But locking a door is such a simple step. And if it's done every single day for every single class, you don't have to worry about, oh, did I forget to lock the doors? There's a shooter here now. Now I need to think about going to do that, you know? Right, exactly. And while we're talking on that subject, let's play devil's advocate. Because I get a lot of former law enforcement, even current law enforcement saying, well, wait a minute. They're sitting ducks in that room. Right. They, they, no, we don't, we don't want that. We want them running out of that room and going outside and going to a designated area. And you're like, and I swear to God, I've had not only, I talked to parents and I said, can you ask your kids, you know, what they're doing during drills? I've had kids, probably you're eight, probably you said your son was eight years old. I got eight or nine year olds that say they're a parent's mom. Why would I run out of into the hallway? I don't know where the gunman is. I don't want to get shot. These are kids saying this. I said, put this, I want this kid on my show. Right. So it's like, you know, but this idea that they're sitting ducks because they think that a shooter is somehow going to bust through that door. Dylan, it's happened once. Right. One time in the hundreds of thousands or how many thousands of school shootings we've had out in Red Lake, Minnesota. It was a Native American uh, reservation. And the kid shot his grandfather, came in, uh, shot the uh, security officer, shot a police officer, grabbed the police officer, shotgun, went in and shot at that door lock three times. Three times that door still didn't open. Finally, he said, you know what? I'm going to bust through the window. He busted through the window and got in that way and shot the teacher. Yeah. So th- they know, even as insane as they are, that it takes time. 
it takes too much time to try to shoot out a lock. Now, we're not going to get into that because, again, I'm not going to play hypotheticals. Right. But if you're being targeted, that's a wholly different situation. If that shooter's targeting someone, yeah, he'll probably work on that door forever because he's after that individual. But the majority of the time if we've seen is, and I, I like the uh, Nashville uh, video, you see that shooter shoot out the glass doors and they're walking through and they're checking the doors as they go, lock, move on, lock, move on, open, I'm going in. So it's something very simple and basic that if that door is locked, they're not getting in. And I've had, of course, uh, some parents say, well, my my uh, 17 year old said we're doing this training to throw things at the shooter in case they get in. in. What am I supposed to do, mom, if a gunman gets into the classroom? Well, you know what? If that gunman's working on the door, what are you going to what are you going to do? You got file cabinets. You got that teacher's desk that weighs a ton. Barricade the door. Right. Simple. If they're working on that door, barricade the door. Just try to think for yourself. That was what they even taught us in the military. We're on a military base. We're all trained soldiers in combat with firearms and and close quarters and hand-to-hand combat. And our procedure was locked down and barricade in place. There was no, let's run to the arms room and everybody get a rifle. Let's go hunt this guy down. No, it was, we barricade in place. We lock down until you hear the all clear. And that, that was even our procedure. And we talked about this too, and not to get into the whole like, conceal carrying on school campuses or anything, but it was always a rebuttal with why soldiers couldn't conceal carry, at least when I was in, um, because, yo, what's the description of the shooter? Oh, he's a soldier in uniform running around with a pistol. Oh, okay. Well now every guy that's got us a concealed carry permits out here looking for a shooter and they're all carrying their pistols. So it just, it adds to too much confusion. It's the same reason why you don't want everyone just running around and it, cause it's chaos. As soon as, as soon as shit hits the fan, it's, chaos and you don't want people or kids for that matter i wouldn't want my son and his his teacher to be trying to lead him out of the school based on her experience and in, in in what teaching no what? <laughs> exactly no i absolutely agree and there, there's two things i want to uh, mention uh before we continue and i'm not going to forget about it. two things i want to mention the one reason that I, I like going on these podcasts now is that there's i, I hear a lot of this stuff because i'm on linkedin and there are a lot of companies out there that sell this kind of stuff. You've got something called Run, Hide, Fight, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Now, Run, Hide, Fight was created back by Homeland Security many, many years ago. And the Houston Police Department did a video. It's a good video. I mean, it, it's, it's old now, but you've got that movie theater narration over there. Guy all dressed in black and he comes in and, in, and they tell you, if you can run, run. Okay, you can run. If you can't, you hide. And if it comes to it, then you fight. But it's made for the corporate world, right. for adults. Not five-year-olds. No, Not somehow this transferred years. over to schools. Like, yeah. are you kidding? And, and I have it, I swear to God, in my county, in my county system since I left, they said, well, we're not going to call it run, hide, fight. We're going to call it options-based training. We're going to give the teacher the option of either locking down in the classroom or running out. What? What about the fight part? Well, we'll, we'll do it by age. Not for elementary or middle, but maybe high school, they can still fight the shooter. Like, oh my God. Are, what happened to common sense? Right. So that not only run, hide, fight is it, it drives me crazy that you would think that you would run out of a classroom not knowing where the shooter is. And there is technology out there that there is no technology out there that shows you where this gunman is going. It, it costs millions of dollars to even do that for a school system. But there's also something out there called Alice Training. And Alice Training is a private marketing company that sends individuals there and you get certified in two days and you come back and you can train the trainer. Alice training is another acronym, you know, and I know, you know, acronyms in the military. I had acronyms in the acronyms in the secret. So it just, it drives you crazy. Anyway, it stands for alert, lockdown, inform, counter, and evacuate. Okay. So we'll break it down. Alert. Perfect. That's what we want. I have systems in my school here where it's automatic alert. It comes out automatically. You push a button, it comes out, whatever it says. Perfect. Lockdown. That's exactly what you should be doing anyways. You're locking down. Okay. The next one is inform, which, and they tell you someone, a designated person is supposed to inform the entire school system where the shooter is going by looking at cameras of where this gunman is going. Not possible. Mm -hmm. There's no technology now that has that, right? What are you doing? The counterpart, see, whoever created this, he's, he's former law enforcement also. He said, well, I don't want the fight part in there. We're going to change that wording to counter, meaning not only teachers, but students are trained to throw objects 
precisely all at the same time if that gunman ever gets into the classroom. And Dylan, there are videos of this, of this Alice training showing these kids throwing what? Their phones? Right. Books? What are they doing? What are they throwing things? Can you imagine? You've been in the army. If I'm if I'm a gunman and I come in like that and they start throwing shabby, I'm going spraying. Yeah. Being pissed off, whatever the heck is going on. So this idea that and that's why I tell parents, if you hear any of this, if you hear the words run, hide, fight, if you hear the words options based training, if you hear anything that says Alice in the acronym, that's a red flag. That should raise something in you and ask your kids, how are how are you drilling? Are you are you being trained to throw things? Yeah. And gunmen, can you imagine you're going to train students hour and a half at most hour and a half? You're going to train them to throw something precisely at the shooter. OK, so now you wait six months. I have no training anymore. And now oh, here comes a shooter. Right. So can you imagine? Look. In the Secret Service, and you probably same thing in the Army, I had to qualify with my weapon every month. Every month. And that was like I talked about implicit memory in the thing. It's, that became rote. That's like athletes. They train over and over and over. Again. You don't use it, you lose it. It's a, it's a yeah, perishable skill. For an hour and a half and expect them to be an expert and right. throw something at someone precisely at the same time in a chaotic, horrible situation. Because right. I tell you, Dylan, you've been there. People are going to freeze. Yeah. You're going to forget your name. You are going to, I'm sorry, crap your pants. I've I, seen it. Just, I've seen it firsthand. Even, know. even when I, we, even when I got shot last summer, I was telling you before we got on, I, um, just something in me clicked. I was actively losing blood out of my arm. I had a sucking chest wound and was trying to, you know, people around us were kind of freaking out. And I was like, I need a tourniquet. I need a, I need a chest seal. Let's, let's get this going. And like, I was the one laying on the ground, bleeding out, providing instructions yeah, on what's to go you. because of that, that implicit memory that I had from all the training and the medical training that we had in the army, but we were also trained under stress. You can't, you can't do that kind of training no. with kids and teachers and, no. and put them in as close to real life scenarios as we would have done in the military or, or in law enforcement or in the secret service. So you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, no, I, if I'm a parent and I hear that, no, I, I would be going ballistic going. Absolutely not. Now, the main thing is what can parents do? What can dads do? Look, if you hear something like this happen, there's a couple things you could do. Number one, get in front of the school board. School boards in most places will have meetings either during the day and they, they definitely will have them def at night. You can get a page and a half. They only give you three minutes. You at least can get a page and a half in there of and telling them what's going on. And they're going to go, really? What kind of resources do you have? What kind of data do you have? Okay. What you're going to do is you want to go to a site called safehavensinternational.org. One word, safehavensinternational.org. It's by my mentor. The guy's name is Michael Dorn. Been, he was a Georgia police officer, been in the business for like 30 something years. They have the data. They have the research, how these these types of trainings are wrong. Uh, you're going to set up liability and litigation. There's millions of dollars that these schools have had to pay just for the drills themselves because they don't work. So that's where you're going to get your resources and your data. If they don't want to listen to you, now you got to start talking to your legislatures, your state legislatures. Say, hey, this I, I you know what? And the schools should also be telling you when they have the drills. If you don't agree with their drills, you pull the kid out or you tell the kid, look, dad, my dad told me I'm staying in a lockout. I am not running out of this classroom. Now, right. I understand you're supposed to listen to the teacher. And I'm sorry if you're going to be not a bully or, or a, a troubled kid or, or a pain in the butt. But look, I want to stay alive. My dad said, I sit over here, lock the door. I'm good. I'm mm. not running out of this classroom. Right. So we start getting that kind of pushback. Maybe these schools will listen because they pay for these services for these people to come in and train them on this stuff. And it's absolutely wrong thing to do. Well, and it's all probably bureaucratic, pure political kind of, you know, incentives into getting these yeah. programs into these school systems, especially these larger school systems, which are like, you know, the great white buffaloes of, of these companies to try and sell into, especially with these yeah. fancy tools and products and everything else like that. So um, back to like what your kind of guide is for administrators and teachers and, and even, you know, some of our dads and, and listeners here, what type of trainings and drills do you recommend as being most beneficial for schools and for, you know, students to be doing and, and how often are these things, you know, supposed to be happening? 
Yeah, that's that's the main thing. Uh, I keep it simple. You know, the KISS uh, system, it's lockdowns. Lockdowns have worked for a number of years. They are still, uh, you know, backed by psychologist associations, by the National Association of School Resource Officers. Lockdowns work. Uh, any of these other fancy stuff like we talked about, like a knee jerk emotional reaction to do different type of drills or do different type of technology. Stay with the lockdowns because it's all about human responsibility and has nothing to do with technology. There's no technology out there that's going to make you 100% safe. And in fact, it's just wasted money, especially metal detectors. A lot of schools I get will say, look, we got a grant. Parents, we're going to put in metal detectors. We're good. Don't worry about it. Your kids are safe. That's just a facade no. for like no. appearing that you're right. doing something, but it's solving nothing. Nothing. Yeah. It's called security theater. If I got some insane person, you think some metal detector is going to stop me from coming and shooting people? No, of course not. And you can easily still get a gun in. You're going to get it in on, on an athletic event on the weekend. Your buddy's going to grab your backpack, throw it through a window, whatever. It, it's yeah, it's just theater. It, it, that's, that's all it is. It's a waste of time. So you keep it simple. Your door is already locked. Close the blinds, sit on the floor, be quiet, turn the lights off. The help is on its way. I, I, I really I understand the rural areas complain about this a lot because they'll tell you, oh, you know, the nearest police is 10 minutes away. Well, you're, you're, you're waiting. I mean, you're just going to have to somehow. And like I said, something like that, if you're in a rural area where it takes that long. Well, guess what? You better slow that shooter down. So you better have good fencing. You better have a lobby area where they're trapped. They can only get in one entrance. Otherwise, they're out. And you better have locks on everything. And O's doors better be closed. My biggest pet peeve, one, <laughs> there's a few of them. I can go to a high school today, any high school today, uh, Dylan, and I can get in. Absolutely. Without an issue. Because there is going to be a door propped open or a door unlocked. It's these stupid triangle wedges that you see, the little wooden ones, they slip in. Why? Because a teacher stepped out for a smoke. Because a kid order a pizza, because there's a kid late to some event, because whatever the hell reason, they want that door wedged open so they can get in or out. Do you know every shooting, well, uh, everyone, I can't say everyone, the majority of shootings are done by current students or by former students, and they are watching this. They know which doors are open. They know which, which gates are open at certain times of day. They see this stuff. And I know we wanted to talk about this because I say, Dan, you know, you're putting out there. They know what the drills are and stuff like that. Yeah, they're going to know what the drills are, but they still are not thinking to themselves, oh, I'm going to bust a lock to get to get that at certain. No, they still want to get in and look for easy victims. Right. So my biggest fear, obviously, is your three times of transition, your arrival, which is just chaotic, obviously, your dismissal and lunchtime. I'm telling you. It's probably going to happen eventually. I hope it doesn't. But lunchtime probably is the biggest one because in that cafeteria, in that enclosed space, yeah. it is so loud and so many students that it, it would be horrible. And I, I only had one chance because maybe in every state, but down here in Florida, they said, no, we're not going to just you're not going to run a drill during lunchtime. These kids have to eat. It's by state law. They have to eat. I'm like, well, how the hell am I going to train for this? Yeah. I figured it out. There was one day in one of our big high schools here. I said, look, can we do it on like a, a rainy day? Something. I have to try to test this out. So we did. I had some kids inside and some kids outside in the picnic area. And we ran a drill as if there was an active shooter there. And fortunately, it, it, it wasn't textbook, but it worked OK because I had different assistants at different areas of the school. And these kids, we told them, look, if something bad happens, Go to your whatever, whatever the next class is after lunch is where you're going to go. Yeah. So that's, they did that. Boom. Ran it. And the, the assistant said, no, come this way, you, you know, and, and do that. And it kind of worked. But and in fact, you know, you're probably of the same chaos actually is good in some respects, because now you've got like ants going everywhere and the shooter doesn't have easy targets to pick out, you know, unless he's like spraying and praying. So, you know, sometimes chaos works for you in, in, in situations like that. But again, back to your point, it just you just keep it simple. You, you keep it at very simple. And that's where the implicit memory comes in. You drill over and over again. Now, drilling. Can you over drill? Absolutely. Sure. You know, you sit there and be like, OK, another drill. Oh, my God, we got to go through this again. Then they get complacent. You, oh, geez. Yeah. A lockdown drill, Dylan. Minimum. Uh, high school, elementary school, you may get away with 45 minutes. High school, it, it's over an hour. 
it's going to take over an hour. You got a thousand, twelve hundred kids. There's no freaking way. Yeah, it's going to be an over an hour. So what happens? <laughs> and people are human. I understand this idea of unannounced. I, I, I was fortunate enough in my county. I had principals that wanted an unannounced drill. They said, "I, I want to see how we react." And that, but that was mostly middle and, and, and elementary school. High school is very tough to do. So, but yeah, I said, "Look, let's do it this way." During the week, just say, "Look." Tell parents and teachers and everybody, hey, one day during this week, we're going to run a drill. Okay. So at least they can't, as you know, pre prepare. Because mm-hmm. what happens is going to pre prepare? Well, they're already going to have the lights turned off and the blinds because they want to get back to teaching. Right. I got homework. I got it. I got a test coming up. I got all this stuff. I got, we're at a D grade school. I, I, I got pressure. So they want to get the drill over as fast as possible. It's human nature. Right. I mean, look at fire drills. When's the last time a kid died in a fire? It's been like a hundred something years ago. They died in a fire. We have fire drills every month. You can do it blindfolded for God's sakes. So this idea that you're going to run this drill for an hour and it just, it just drags and you can't do it any faster. Mm -hmm. It's just the nature of the beast. So I tell teachers you just learn this and have it implicit in your mind. This is what I need to do. Just go through the process. And you mentioned the the credit card. I'll, I'll talk about that. In my book, I've got this laminated, well, I laminated it. You can laminate this quick reference card, okay? It's small enough as a credit card. It'll fit on your lanyard. Most teachers have a lanyard with their ID or a copier card. And on here, it'll tell you, you know, you got lockdown, you got lockout, bomb threat, fire, whatever. Because as you know, Dylan, you're going to forget stuff. You're going to forget. So you look down and say, what, and what did I forget? Oh, geez, I forgot to turn the lights off. Whatever it was. Right. At least you can look through it and, and, and feel safe and going, okay, I got it. And the reason I came up with that, I have a doctor friend of mine and she goes, oh yeah, we use those all the time. I'm like, what are you talking about? She says, oh, they'll come up with like a code purple. I have no idea what that is. So I can look on the card, but there's so many colors, what purple is. So it it's useful. And Absolutely. I, I, we, they made us carry them in the army on like nine line medevacs and, and all the other different things that we had to remember. And even like to like the, you know, the core values of our unit or, or whatever it was like, we had to have that on us on our, on our person at all times, obviously like our military ID on us at all times. And so, you know, a lot of those things, you drill those into the teacher's heads and the administrators and the staff is, is keeping these, you know, quick reference guides on you. And you can eliminate a lot of that confusion and chaos when, when shit really does hit the fan. Well, you and I know, no one knows how they're going to, how they're yeah. react in an emergency. You have no idea. I mean, you and I would, would react a certain way to certain things, but if something, if it's something unfamiliar to us, I, I don't know how, I hope I would react a certain way, but maybe not. Right. I had a North, North County school assistant principal who was really into this safety and security. And she would run drills like every other month or quarterly with her people. And she had an actual incident. She had an individual across the street. Uh, this guy didn't like his mom's boyfriend decided to grab a gun and he started shooting up the house from the outside. Well, as he was doing that, he's kind of spraying and some of the bullets hit the school. They go into a lockdown, which is what they should have done. Okay. No big deal. Cops came, arrested them. Nobody got hurt. Everything was fine. Afterwards, obviously you always do an after action, whether it's a drill or whether it's a, a real event. She sat down with her people. She found out that one third of her teachers froze. Yeah. Froze. And they had done drills before. It wasn't like the first time froze just nothing so you have no idea what's going to happen and i'll I'll talk about this also because it's very topical now what you're having now and recently let's go through it sandy hook principal came out and tried to confront the shooter marjorie stoneman douglas gym teacher came out and tried to confront the shooter nashville principal comes out confront the shooter iowa the most one of the most recent ones principal comes out and tries to talk down the shooter they all got shot they're all called heroes. No, they're not. They left the family. They left kids behind it. They're not heroes. There's this Alice training kind of incorporates this counter uh, of countering the individuals. I, I don't know what it is about educators. And I, I apologize if I'm, I'm, I'm not generalizing it just for all educators. But for some reason, and I know principals are alpha personalities. They want to do something and not feel helpless. But to go out and try to talk down a shooter when you're unarmed, when you have nothing but your voice, you're not going to make it. Yeah. It's not going to happen. You have to stop this. And this idea, this also carries over to students. I'll, I'll be a hero. I'll, yeah. I'll save lives. No. You have no idea if you save lives or not. 
Right. You're dead. Right. You don't know if you saved lives. You just stepped over you and went on to the next one. So this idea that you need to go out there and confront this shooter. No, stop it. It, it. You're not a hero. You're not stopping anything. They're beyond that. They should have been talked about months ago. Right. Not at that moment. This well, person didn't wake up one morning, grab the gun and say, hey, I'm going to go shoot up a school today. Right. This was something that was planned months ago. Well, and that's like what you and I were talking about before we came on as well is how do you combat today? Because there's a lot of deranged people. And, and again, this kind of comes back to our kind of theme of our show is, you know, today's world has gotten so screwed up and so far out of reality. And, and we're trying to, to teach dads and parents and, and everyone that listens to, to get back to the roots of what made this country great, how we raise strong kids, how we raise masculine kids. And, and it's the same thing as like, the people that are going to do this are so deranged. They're not afraid of dying. In fact, most of them probably expect to die after they've planned this entire thing out. And so in preparing for this, like how do you, how do you prepare for something like this with a person who is, is willing and, and prepared to die? I, that's kind of another challenge in this nowadays today, because you know, cameras used to do it where, oh, I'm going to be on camera. I don't want to get seen or I don't want my face seen if I'm that kind of thing. But they don't care anymore. So cameras don't cut it. Obviously, you've got like your outer and your inner perimeter security in terms of like roadblocks and your fatal funnel within a lobby to make sure someone can't get in or they're trapped in that area, that kind of thing. Um, Correct. But in terms of preparations and, and understanding the mindset of someone who's so deranged and capable of doing this, who's ready to die. How do you combat that in these preparations and these plans? Can you? It, uh, it, it's tough, Dylan. It's, it's not my, that's not my um, yeah. well, avenue. But, um, you know, it, it, every, uh, usually people my age bring up like, look, when we were kids, this wasn't even thought of. Yeah. We, we had guns on the back of our trucks and stuff. You never thought of On school like campus, that. right? You had a but, shotgun rack in your truck, bring it to school. Nobody ever shot up a school back then. Well, no. <laughs> It wasn't even thought about you. you if you're going to fight, you're going to fist fight. You yeah. Know, you know, you got problems. I, I, well, this is my opinion only look, number one, cell phones. They are the biggest bane of teachers and society right now with cell phones, because there's no reason for a kid to have cell phones in schools. No, there is there's no reason. Absolutely. No reason. If parents want to be that helicopter parents, guess what? You call the front office. Hey, bring Dan up to the front. I want to talk to him. That's it. That's the way it was back then. That's the way it should be now. Social media. Yeah, it is social just media. destroying these kids because the bullying, the, uh, you know, especially for girls, obviously, uh, they, they depend more on, you know, their looks and stuff on social media, but just that kind of thing. And that's what adds up to this. So the idea that, you know, we can stop this, I, I don't know. I don't think I, there I is a, there a, yeah, there's not a foolproof no. way to stop it. It's just, you know, kind of no. preparing for the worst, hoping for the best. And and I think it's changing yeah. the mindset, like you were saying, of the principals and the administrators from, you know, trying to step out and be that hero to just following the logic of what works in terms of lockdowns and, and kind of preparations and that kind of thing. And just knowing what to do when when shit really does hit the fan. And, and we haven't talked well, about um, SROs or school resource officers as well. Yes. I know. Yes. So I was born and raised actually here in Wake County, which is, I want to say, one of the largest school systems in North Carolina. Um, but all of the schools that I attended, we always had a uniformed school resource officer on site every day. We got to know him very well. Yes. Two things that I mentioned always on a podcast is number one, you keep yourself safe. Teachers, students, administrators, you keep yourself safe first. Uh, the meta met good metaphor is when that oxygen mask drops, when you're on a plane, you put that on yourself first, then you can help other people, whether it's a child or an elderly person. So you keep yourself safe first, then you can help other people. Because again, you're not going to confront anybody. You're not going to go out there and be a hero. If you're safe and good, then after this happens, then you can start helping people. So that's number one. Number two, armed resource school officers. Um, they are probably for me, the, uh, the biggest issue and, and the biggest help of anything to do with schools. They go through intensive training, dealing with students, uh, teachers and parents uh, and administrators. That's what they're trained to do. And the argument you get, especially with the defund the police movement, when all this was happening during the pandemic was, oh, my God, no, the students, I don't want to see uniform. I feel oppressed. I need to find a safe space. I have a microaggression, whatever the hell. You know what? Tough. Yeah. They are not there to arrest you. They don't have arrest powers. The police will deal with it. These people are there to protect you 
if something bad happens, that's what they're there for. And they are an advocate. And I emphasize them constantly that because we're fortunate here in Florida, the legislation did pass enough money uh, to put a resource officer in every school and it goes by population. So if we're up to a thousand, then you get uh, two school resource officers. Now are the ones in Florida, are they actually uniform police officers or are they a separate? Okay. So the ones here in Wake County, at least when I was in school, were actual police officers that were assigned to our school permanently. That was their, their duty station on a day-to-day basis. They were a uniformed police officer. So they could arrest on site. They broke up fights a lot and they arrested kids for fighting. And they were also there for kind of that first line of defense against any kind of major things like, you know, shootings and things like that. So that's, that was interesting because I heard you mention that elsewhere that they had no arrest powers. And I was like, interesting. I was like, ours was a actual like PD, like uniformed officer. Well, that's a little different. And I, I understand budgetary reasons. Yeah why these police officers are there for other, whether it's overtime or they actually hire them for the schools with, with these arrest powers. Um, but then you get into an area where the teachers depend on them for every kind of administrative thing. Hey, this kid's bullying. Hey, uh, well, hold on. I'm going to get the police officer there to take. No, yeah, that's a school responsibility. Those police officers are not there to advocate or to come in and be an arbitrator or something to, to bully some kid from one reason or another. That's that gets into an area where I don't particularly agree uh, that, and that's a school thing. And yeah. I'm not saying that you have them there, but teachers will take that as they've got the backing. Oh, you're going to give me a problem. I'm going to call in officer Smith here. We're going to take care of it. Right. And officer Smith's like, Oh my God, no, that's not my job. Yeah. So that's where you get the dynamic of that and have, have an issue, but still, yes, you got to have them in the schools. They, they, they got to be in the schools. Well, I mean, and like, even so like, you know, your book is called the first five minutes. So even if the school resource officer is there, obviously he's got inside knowledge of at least the layout of the school, the blueprint of the school, the facility itself, the doors, the the classrooms, he, he knows yep. the layout. If he can cut down that, let's call it five minutes of, of an active shooter situation by half yep. by just responding in half the time that it takes the rest of a police department to arrive, then you've probably either saved lives or you've just, you've, you've responded to the situation that much faster. And that's why I agree with you. I think having a school resource officer is, is one of the best ways they can help make those situations better. If I guess, obviously God forbid it ever happens. Um, yep. But what's interesting too, is so our son goes to a charter school here in, okay. in uh, Wake Forest. And I don't know, I don't think they have a school resource officer, but now that I've talked to you, my next call is going to be to the school asking what their plans are, asking what the types of drills they do, asking if they have a resource officer, if not, why, and those kind right. of things. And I think I would advocate our listeners to do the same thing. And, and I think that would be great steps into the the, the progress of, of making sure that our schools are, are hardened and fortified um, better than they are today. Yeah, no, I agree. And, uh, you know, you'll, uh, I get the, also the feedback that, well, you're going you're to turn schools into prisons. And it's, I tell you, it's a balance because yeah. you, we don't want them to be prisons. They have to have the balance of being secure, but also be a welcoming uh, environment. And, you know, you'll get messages from the school about if something happens. And, and of course, they'll put in the education speak in there about, you know, how caring they are and holistic and blah, 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 this kind of stuff, which is great. But, you know, parents want, they want the school to be secure. And, you know, obviously I'm a parent, but I don't want to walk into a, have a prison either. So that is a tough balance. And I'm telling you, the world we live in, it's not going to get better. It's not something where we're going to say, okay, we got it. This is going to stop. It's not, it's probably going to continue to get worse. So that's why I stay away from those other areas and just concentrate on, look, it, I just want you prepared. That's all. It'll probably never happen. It's being basically struck by lightning or winning the lottery that'll ever happen in your school. But if you're prepared, at least you know you're going to be safe and just stay in a lockdown. Your kids are going to be safe. Everything is going to be fine. But this other type of drills that you're doing, no, you know, you got to find out what's going on and, and uh, tell the school to stay away from that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I liked another idea too that you had in the book, um, I- at least in terms of using the students 
at an older age and not necessarily yep. students as far as like, Oh, you go and respond to the threat, but using the students yep. as like a safety council, you like yep. kind of like in the airport, you see something, you say something, having students or some type of club or organization kind of frequently going around the school, checking doors, checking windows, checking for bushes yep. and fencing and, and finding loopholes in the system. So to say, because yep. kids break shit, kids are going to kick yep. a door, leaving the building one day and bust the, the lock on the handle. And then you've got a door that's, that's, unsecure and unlocked but unless somebody reports it or says something it won't get fixed and then likely all the kids then now know oh yeah this door is always unlocked you can just get in here anytime it's not a big deal um and so I, I really just, i'm sorry i was gonna just i just i, I like that that was another aspect of of a route that you could go through is using some of the older kids to to, to take some ownership of their school for the security and there the safety go. of everyone else that's it ownership they talk about, you know, either school spirit, uh, you know, sports uh, spirit. And a lot of these clubs now have come out because of whatever it's transgender movement or identity this or that. They want, you know, to be a welcoming and we're going to welcome everybody and we want to make sure there's no bullying. All that's fine. But if you want to either get into law enforcement in the military or something along those lines, I still would encourage those kids that have the ownership of the school during your study period, whatever, walk around the school. Yeah. Tell a school resource officer, hey, uh, Officer Smith, I'm, I'm just going to walk around the school and, and check the door. They would appreciate that. They can't be everywhere at, at, at once. Right. Well, you're not snitching on anybody. Yeah. All you're doing is coming back saying, hey, the door outside classroom so-and-so is, is wedged open. What, what's going on? That's it. That's all you got to do. Now, this other idea of when we talked about see something, say something, the media obviously doesn't focus on this. You see very minor stories of this, of school shootings being stopped, and they're stopped pretty much almost every day by either somebody saying to the school resource officer, I, this guy, Johnny over here, I, he's talking about shooting. He's got these writings and all this. Guy. I, I don't know what's going on with him, but you know, you, you need to check it out again. That's not snitching. You don't want, you know, 10, 20, 30 kids dying from whatever the heck this kid's talking about. So just say something. It, it's okay. Find someone you trust. I don't care. It's school resource officer, a teacher or whatever. Your kid is going to have a favorite teacher. Every kid has a favorite teacher. You can easily go to them and, and, and say what your concerns are. Well, and at the same time, I think teachers and administrators, and I, again, I think you said this in the book too, is they also need to take some type of, of ownership and accountability for their school and the safety and security. So if you see someone walking through the school without a, a badge or without a lanyard or whatever the, the means of kind of, you know, officially proving that you're a, a qualified visitor and that's been through the front office accordingly, even like you said in the book, if it's someone that's regularly there, some popular PTA mom, you still have to follow the rules. And I think it's up to teachers and administrators to enforce that. Hey, you don't have a badge. You need to go to the front office. You're not supposed to be in here without one. And they've got to constantly do that. I, I tell you what, it's the human element, though. Yeah. Um, a lot of people it just they don't they're not confrontational. Yeah. They don't want confrontation. I ha I was assigned and I'm, I'm telling you a short story. I was assigned to high school by my superintendent. He said, hey. This high school up here, we've had some issues with people getting in and unauthorized people and stuff. You go up there and check it out. What's going on? He says, I'm kind of frustrated. So I go up there and I, you know, hid my pass. I didn't have it on. I put on a baseball cap in case somebody recognized me, threw my hood up, and I walked on the campus because it's easy enough today to walk on a high school campus. That's for darn sure. I walked around for a good 30 minutes. I'm everybody, hey, how you doing? How's it going? I'm, I'm waving. I'm, I'm being friendly. Yeah. Students, teachers, how's everybody? Hey, how's it going today? Hey, nice seeing you. Anyway, after 30 minutes, I'm like, are you kidding me? Nobody stopped me. Nobody's questioned. Nobody even came up and said, do you need help? Anything, nothing. So I'm getting, it's near lunchtime before the, the lunchtime bell is going out like 1130. So I went around the back of the school and they had one of these open areas, like a, a workout area. It was all glass. And these girls were in there, the twirlers, whatever they call them with the leotards on the twirlers. And I'm watching them and stuff like that. And I was faking like I was taking pictures of them, right? Still nobody stopping me, nothing, not even questioning. What are you doing? Why are you taking pictures of these girls, yeah. right? So I, I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. I got to get out of here. I got I to gotta, I gotta talk to the superintendent about this. So I start walking out towards the exit. And I see an assistant principal who I had met once before, only once before. And he glanced over at me and he's walking with a bunch of other students. And he looked and he just, and he's okay. And he went, he came towards me. And he did. He said, can I help you? And I, you know, just quickly with my wit, I said, yeah, I'm 
looking for my car. He goes, and I completely threw him off. He goes, your car. I said, I know I parked out here somewhere. I said, I, I like visiting high schools. I said, you got a really nice high school here. I said, I was out back. I said, and there were these girls back there in these leotards and they were doing these twirler things. And I took some pictures of them. Boom. He latched onto my arm, right? He goes, you're coming with me. And I, it was a great response. Uh, and immediately I took out my land, uh, my lane, and I show him my pass and I told him who I was working for. <laughs> this took like three times because he was just like so out of it. Oh, yeah. He goes, who are you working for? Wait, who told you that? <laughs> so anyways, we get to the end and finally he settles down and he recognizes who I am and who I'm talking about and why I was assigned this. And we're outside this big gated area. It was a, 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 an entrance gate for cars, actually, but they had one of these little side gates that you, the students could get into. So we're standing there and uh, we're talking about security. He says, well, it's not really my, they usually have at high schools, our high schools usually have four assistant principals and each one's designated a different area. And he says, oh, our security person will, will bring her down, the assistant principal. While we're standing there, a student comes up, right? And has a backpack. While we're standing there with the assistant principal, takes his backpack, flips it over the fence, it hits the lock, busts the thing open and he walks right in. And I'm looking at him, I said, are you kidding me? And he just goes, yeah, I guess we got to fix that. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, wow. Well, this is some, this was years ago that I did this. And, and I believe it probably still goes on today Easily. because these kids are not naive. They, they know how to get through things that with locks and doors and stuff. They know this stuff, but they have to realize, like you said, situational awareness. People are watching. Yeah. There's always someone watching bad guys, good guys, whatever. So it, it just, oh my God, it, it just was so, it opened my eyes too. And I hope it opened their eyes. I don't know if they got any better at this point, but yeah, you're right. Um, it's, I've had schools where they even told me, uh, yeah, for deliveries, we don't actually lock the, the bolt lock. Uh, we just put it like, it looks like it's locked. I'm like, oh man, well, why would you do that? Oh, cause I don't want my head plan operator, you know, going from way across the campus to come over just to open the gate for the delivery guy. Delivery guy's been doing this, you know, for, you know, whatever, how many years. So we kind of leave it open for him. Okay. Right. So up there one day and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I bet you that lock's not on. So I took the lock off and I walked in, this is elementary school. And I went to the picnic table and I'm sitting there and there's parents with their kids and teachers. Hey, hi, everybody. How you doing? I, and I look like a normal. I wasn't in my hood up or anything. Right. Like a bad guy. Again, like 30 minutes go by. And I'm like, are, are you kidding me? And I went to talk to the principal. And of course, their whole thing was, oh, no, we train our teachers to challenge people. I said, really? That's a bunch of BS because nobody said anything. Yeah. To me. So I, I, I say this because I'm here. I am complaining about teachers and, and, and we probably don't have many teachers listening or principals listening. But parents, just be aware that, you know, there's stuff going on there that you have to keep, be apprised of uh, if you go visit your school. There's no reason for you as a parent, if you're inside that school and you see someone without a pass, for even you to say something. It's your school, for God's sake, your Absolutely. child's school. Can I help you? I notice you don't have a pass on. Can, can I lead you to where the office is? Something that is not uh, confrontational. You're trying to help the person. And it could be a bad guy. It could be somebody just trying to check things out. It could be some freaking pedophile, for God's sakes. Exactly. I had schools, Dylan, I had schools for years that uh, during the beginning of school, during, actually, I'm sorry, during the entire school year for elementary schools, they would lead their children by the hand directly to the classroom every single day. And as soon as they dropped that kid off, no pass, nothing. As soon as they dropped that kid off, they got the run of the school. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, what? I look I, my business where I came from. I don't trust anybody. I don't know what they're doing when they leave here, when they go home, what they're doing. I have no idea. So, I mean, when, and you don't have no idea who's bringing that child to school. It could be uncle John. It could be the neighbor. Yeah. It could be pedophile Phil. I have no idea. So these parents would get into the school or I say parents, the people would bring yeah. these kids into school. They got to run to the school. And do you know, I would go to these, um, sorry, another acronym, um, meetings, not, not PTA meetings. It was like a SAC, a SAC meeting, student, uh, advisory, adult, something, whatever, yeah. advisor, whatever it was. And do you know these parents? Oh my God. They read like read me the riot act. I moved to this area so I could do this. You're telling me I can't bring my child to school. 
I'm, I'm going to leave here. I'm going to sue you. I mean, this went on and on. And I said, and I finally, I said, I had two parents up front. I said, you know, it was a guy and a guy. Do you know the person sitting next to you? Well, I know, you know, they have child so-and-so. I said, no, I mean, do you really know them? Well, no. I said, so if your child was molested by this person here, would that upset you? Well, yeah, of course it would. Well, I said, why leave that the potential to happen? Right. And it took like two hours of this meeting. Finally, I got like more than half of the building finally saying, oh, yeah, we agree with you. It finally clicked right. in their head that this is happening. So, again, parents, be aware of what's happening in your, in your school. If they're, if they're allowing people in without being checked, without any kind of pass, with free access, because I'll tell you, a lot of times you get these PTA members like we talked about that have been a PTA member for 20, 30 years, and they're allowed to roam around the school. No. Are you doing, are you doing some kind of check on them weekly? Right. Monthly? Yeah. Ever? I don't know. Maybe they just went and raped somebody. I have no idea what these people are doing. And you're allowing them into school with no background check at all. Yep. Now they'll tell you, oh yeah, we did a background check. Well, when's the last time? Like six months ago. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. It's got to be up to date. Yeah. No. I mean, complacency kills, right? It's a, there's a reason it's a saying. And, and I think back to the point with like the kid throwing his bag over the thing. I mean, path of least resistance too. And I think in preparation and, and getting ready for drills like this and putting lockdowns and, and instituting these things in schools, I think putting your, your mind in the frame set of someone who is going to follow the path of least resistance. It's even the same thing with like your car in a parking lot crime. Most, most crimes and break-ins are crimes of opportunity, especially going into a school. If, if, if the opportunity is there to open a door and to easily get in somewhere, it's going to happen because criminals will follow the path of least resistance. They don't care about yes. cameras and being seen and whatever technology you have. And now again, like you said, if, if it's a very targeted thing, then that kind of changes a lot of the dynamics of the situation. But if you right. can at least follow the five D's of what is it like deter, hang on, I wrote it down, deter, detect, deny, delay, defend. That's what I take yes. into consideration in terms of my home. Obviously we're not going to be, you know, fighting school shooters in, in a school situation, unless you're law enforcement, but making it harder to get in, securing that outer perimeter, securing the inner perimeter, putting barriers in place, putting roadblocks in place, following procedures of making sure people are credentialed and approved to be in and around the school, especially like you said, during arrival, during lunch, during departure, because it's a free for all at that point, especially on like yep. high school campuses. It's there's school, they, they've got athletics events going on over here. There's people coming and going and you've got carpool and you've got buses and you've got kids coming in and out for clubs and practices and all kinds of different things. It's, it's almost an impossible situation to control, but by, by having that, that lack of complacency, you, you can at least mitigate some of that risk. And that I think is what is the most important thing about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and, and one thing before I forget, I noticed we're covering a, a lot of territory here. Um, I don't want people to actually concentrate so much on either worrying or, you know, uh, the idea that you may have a school shooter on campus, because what's happening, happening on campuses more than likely is just going to be a weapon introduced. There's either going to be a knife, a gun or something that's going to show up in the classrooms. It's happening more and more. And it's not so much, I, I don't want to be worried about it, but you know, you want teachers to be aware and parents to be aware. Um, look, we just had that one parent that got um, uh, convicted uh, for allowing her kid to have a gun in, in the school. Uh, what was her name? Crumbly, I think. Uh, anyways, but this is something usually if you have a weapon in school, it's, it, it's usually, I, 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 you know, I'm not a psychologist. It's either a kid's been bullied uh, it's been, there's gang things going on. It's something where the, the student just feels empowered by having that weapon. Not, not that it might even take it out, yeah. but just have something like that in case they get bullied because there is so much bullying going on. And, you know, that's where you're going to see more often a weapon, a knife, something in the school that may be introduced. So it's just the schools have to be prepared for that even more so now than concentrating so much on school shootings. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you coming on. Um, we'll put that link. What well, you said it was safe Haven international, um, dot org dot org. Yes. Okay. We'll put that link into the show notes as well as Dan's link to the book on Amazon, um, his LinkedIn page, um, any other social um, media or anything page, like Facebook page too, uh, for th first five minutes. Um, and that's usually just a bunch of the podcasts that I've had on there. And I, I know it probably gets boring because I say the same thing over and over, but it's, it's just the idea that, look, this is something I just, if I, you know, 
I don't care. One or two people pick up on this is fine. As long as it makes you uh, change something that's happening in your schools to speak up and say something. Uh, don't be complacent. Talk to your kids. I got a 17-year-old. And you know how teenagers are. Yes, no, I, I got to get back to my videos, back on the phone. Pin them down. How are they doing the emergency drills at your school? Are you staying in a lockdown or are they having you run out of the classroom? That's the main thing right away. What right. are you doing? Are you in a lockdown or are you running out of the classroom? Are they telling you to throw things at some shooter? Bam, red flag. Find out what, what what's going on with this because it's uh, it's wrong. Exactly. It's and even to like the point of a lot of the things that we talk about on the show here anyways is if you raise your kids to be situationally aware and alert and, and, and kind of aware of their surroundings, they can tune into some of these things. The complacency won't be there. They'll understand a lot of the importance behind this and they can start taking ownership and accountability for their, their schoolmates, their classmates, their school themselves and, and become a leader. That's how you raise strong masculine kids that will eventually eventually become leaders in, in the world is making sure that they understand the importance behind it. And then, you know, constantly kind of refreshing that and, and reminding them of why it's important and why they need to drill and why they need to pay attention when, when they do it and take it seriously. Seriously. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank yeah. you so much for joining us today. Um, I will put all the links in the show notes. If you guys want, please check out his book on Amazon. It's called The First Five Minutes. You can buy it. Again, we'll put a link up to that. Um, but that does it for today. You can check us out on our Instagram at DadBodBrigade, our website, www.dadbodbrigade.com. And at that note, Dan, we are out of here. I appreciate the time today. Thank you uh, very much. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Dylan. Absolutely. See you guys. Thanks.